Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into an episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. We got the former QB, Jalen Whitlow, at Aaron Gerstrom from the Cats Falls. Fellas, how y'all doing this evening? Good, man. Can't complain. Can't complain. Good deal, good deal. We got a guest. Hadn't had a guest in here for a little bit. Longtime columnist for the Lexington Herald Leader. See all his work at KentuckySports.com. You can't throw him a curveball. We just talked about that before we started recording. We're talking about Mark's story. Mark, how you doing? Good, Vinny. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate you taking the time. We definitely uh, enjoy the knowledge you're going to drop and be able to talk a little football, a little sports, and a little Kroger Field Commonwealth anniversary like Aaron was talking about. Uh, I guess we got to start first, though. You know, we hear coaches say it. We hear players say it. You know, football is the most important thing. You know, life is more important. Family is more important. In this case, health is more important. And we were able to hear some good news concerning Liam Cohen. And Aaron, you you were there, right? I mean, yeah. Sorry, I didn't know who we were going to there, but yeah, no, right. I was there. <laughs> I was there today. Uh, you know, when we saw him coming up, we weren't really told who we were going to speak to today. So uh, I was kind of assuming it was going to be either Scott Woodward or, or Vince Merrill. And when I saw it was Liam Cohen coming over, that was obviously uh, super encouraging. And, you know, he seemed to be doing pretty well. He didn't go into detail on what exactly happened, but he mentioned, you know, <laughs> eating better and doing some of the things that, you know, they tell the players to do, which, you know, I don't want to make an assumption, but I think you can put two and two together what might have happened. So it sounded like a scary day there on Sunday. Um, glad to hear and see him and see that he's doing pretty well. Uh, he said he had an iPad in hand Monday morning and that uh, Tuesday he was back at practice. So it uh, seems like all's good there. It seems like um, uh, everything is going well. Uh, the offense will be his to call on Saturday, and uh, hopefully they can move on from this situation, monitor his health, obviously. But uh, uh, today was a good day to, to talk to him and see he's doing all right. Yeah. What's that you, Mark? Were you there today as well? No, I was not at the press gathering. I know Mark Stoops Monday at his news conference alluded to something that he, I remember him talking about two years ago when Liam was here, just how much pressure he puts on himself. And, you know, there's so much money involved in this now and the stakes are really high for, you know, schools and coaches. And there's just, I mean, it's just gotten so big that, you know, these guys are obviously under a lot of pressure, but it, you know, at the end of the day, these are just ball games and, there are things more important, and hopefully uh, this is kind of a warning sign, or, or not hopefully, but serves as kind of a warning sign, you know, maybe for Liam to, to, to not lose sight of not lose sight of them. Absolutely. What about you, Jay? Yeah, man, same thing. You know, it's just a, at the end of the day, it's football. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not the end of the world. Uh, so, you know, always think about it as, you know, and I had a coach used to tell me, however number of people in China 
couldn't care less about what happens in a football game over here. Um, so at the end of the day, you got to put it, put it in perspective, man. You know, uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's good to do that, and it's good to, you know, it shows that you care and you want to perform. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't, can't allow, you, you know, things to slip uh, based on, you know, the outcome of football games at the end of the day. So, um, you know, good that he's back. You know, I, I happened to grab my phone after practice today and clicked on YouTube and happened to see the interview. So I was like, okay, you know, that's a good sign. So I watched the interview and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it looks like he's uh, 110%, you know, same old Liam Cohen. And he's a he's a young guy, you know, yeah, late 30s, if that. You know, got a, a, a young wife, a young son. And everybody knows the demands of the job. You guys, Mark and Aaron, are there interacting with the – coach and various members of the staff on a daily basis. Jalen, you played, you interacted with coaches and players on that level. But for y'all already to touch on what he said, you know, I got to eat better, got to sleep better, got to do what I tell the players to do. For, for it to be that demanding, and this still happened, and he's working for one of the coaches who kind of promote balance more so than some of the other, as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's crazy about it is you're a week removed from – or not even a week removed, a day removed uh, from playing uh, EKU and playing against Walt Wells, who, of course, went through a heart – I think he had a heart attack uh, a little over a year ago. And there was a lot of talk. Actually, I think he was asked Monday last week during the press conference. Mark was there. He can confirm. Uh, I think – I don't think I was hearing things, but I think Mark Stoops was asked about um, – you know, do you ever have to think about heart issues and with the stress of this job, how do you balance it? And he kind of brushed it off and, you know, he, he did give a, an answer, but he, at first he kind of laughed and said, you know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, he's going to be stressed regardless. So uh, he kind of has to do what he's got to do. So just for that to all come to a head, you know, you just see Walt Wells on Saturday, you know, Mark Stoops spent way more time than he does usual uh, pregame on the field, kind of catching up with Wes as uh kind of catching up with the vault rather I was kind of watching that uh from upstairs and catching up with some of the guys on EKU staff that are obviously you know former Wildcats and came back and they you know embraced long after the game they had Walt's press conference and Mark Stoops's press conference so they were meeting up so to have someone that Mark Stoops already know go through something really scary and spend a lot of time with him the day before to see another guy that you're close with uh go through something scary in one day man that's just that, that's an emotional uh, roller coaster right there. So I'm just glad to hear uh, things seem to be uh, getting better. Well, Mark Stoops is going to take that kind of thing seriously because obviously in his family history, right. you know, his dad passed away from a heart attack during a football game on the sideline. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, the, the Stoops family, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that's something they're going to take real seriously. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, Bob Stoops, you know, he retired at a fairly young age mm -hmm. and, so, you know, Mark, of all coaches, I think is very aware of uh, cardiac-related issues. Got thing to add, Jay. Oh, I mean, you know, I think good point, man. Um, I remember, I think he alluded to that in an interview the other day um, yep. about, you know, issues that can arise. And look, we all know, you know, obviously this is a very 
So I mean, being a head coach at a school like Kentucky or Alabama or Georgia or whatever, you have a lot on your plate every day. Um, you deal with more than most people can even fathom uh, on a day-to-day basis, not even just the football recruiting stuff. But at the end of the day, you're dealing with a whole bunch of people at the end of the day. These, guys, these people are people. They have other issues that arise, uh, and you have to manage a lot of people. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot on your plate every single day. It's a, I mean, I can only imagine, um, you know, what they see and hear and go through on a day-to-day basis. So, and top that with you trying to, you know, win football games in the toughest conference in America. And, you know, it's a lot, man. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just glad that, you know, everything's all good. And I'm sure everybody's kind of looking into, okay, how can they be better for the situation? Think about what these coaches go through in December, where you have now it's even an, another element, right? You have transfer portal recruiting and getting guys signed by December. You got to finish off your high school class, make sure the guys that you have committed are you know still good, and then you're trying to poach away other guys, or you're still trying to nab some uncommitted guys. Now you're re-recruiting your own roster, and oh yeah, if you win six games, you also got to prepare for a bowl game. I mean, the stress of being a college coach is higher than ever, man. I mean, it used to. It's always been stressful, I'm sure. I've never sat in those shoes, obviously. But it, it just feels like now more than ever, uh, being a college coach, is uh, it's a bear, man. That's why I think you're going to see – I mean, I think you've seen a little bit of it already, but I think you're going to see some coaches who just want to coach a ball uh, start trying to get into the pro route and go coach that way because it's a lot. I mean, I'm not saying guys are going to start quitting and these guys sign up for this. They love it. They're going to – this is their this is their job. This is their calling. But – uh, being a college head coach, I mean, especially a head coach, let alone an assistant, what Liam Cohen's doing. And obviously he's involved in recruiting. He's calling the shots on offense. He's responsible for, you know, half the team. But uh, what Mark Stoops goes through, what any head coach in the country goes through, uh, I can't imagine like what a day in their life is in December. I mean, I was just thinking about that uh, throughout that month while we were kind of hearing about all the portal stuff. And obviously with Kentucky, you know, trying to hunt down a quarterback even more so you're you're relying on the portal. So uh, that month of December, uh, I remember I don't know if it was his press conference on signing day or it was his press conference when they announced, you know, the Music City Bowl bid. But I remember he had like the biggest bags under his eyes and he was just exhausted, man. It, It is a crazy job nowadays. And all of that, guys, just to to get to your 12 Saturdays and exactly. practice. And it's that kind of outweighs the games that you love so much and the practice and the teaching that they love so much that's in their blood. So to y'all's point, you, you might not see the 30 or 40-year tenures with Paterno and Bowdens that we – just saw come to an end a few years ago. You're not going to see guys stay around that long anymore. Well, yeah, I, I know. I know a few guys personally that have, you know, gotten out of college coaching to, you know, some of them even, even decided to take the USFL and XFL route. Yeah, because they they wanted to get out of college coaching so bad because it's not conducive to really enjoying your time outside of football as much as you would like. Um, you know, you know, you got guys who. They just like I said, they they like to go fishing from time to time. They like to, you know, it's just it's just tough to do that type of stuff when you're always, you know, on the go, always recruiting, always on the plane, always, you know, it's tough, man. It's a tough 
it's a tough job. They get paid well for it, but it's uh, it's demanding. But to me, it's the recruiting that makes college coaching so difficult because you're just always under that pressure. In the NFL, you don't have to do that. But I just did a story where I talked to an NFL assistant, and he was telling me that basically for six months of the year, his wife is a single parent. He sees yeah. his kids on Tuesday night and Friday morning. And that's the only time he sees them because he leaves before they get up to go to school and he gets home after they're in bed. I mean, that, that's not that that NFL lifestyle is no picnic either. Right. Although you are free of the, mostly free of the, the recruiting responsibility. Yeah, and you uh, you all know the countless stories of you know recent examples and older example. You know Joe Gibbs sleeping in the office and, and John Gruden and you know these guys just nonstop 20, 22 hour days and burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. You know it's just. <laughs> it's how it's just it just beats you down because everybody's human at the end of the day. No doubt. So definitely had to you know had to start with Liam, fellas, for sure. Um but as you guys know, we all see the interviews, Aaron and, and Mark, you guys are there. The reaction, Mark, maybe following uh the game against EKU as opposed to the reaction coming off of Ball State where we were we were ticked off about this Ball State game, and then we're maybe everybody's expecting them to kind of be ticked off again after EKU. But it was more so, no, we're fine and we're all right. We're yeah. Were you surprised to see that? We'll go. Let's go to Mark first, and and then go Aaron and Jay. I think people are a little disappointed with what they've seen so far. I think the offense played better in the second half against Eastern. Maybe that made people feel a little bit better. You know, I just think I think people had higher expectations for what they've seen so what they've seen so far. You know, I think Leary, for whatever reason, is getting off to slow starts in the games. I thought from the point he threw the touchdown pass to Tavion Robinson right before halftime yep. through the end of the game, I thought he was really good from that point forward. You know, I'm actually a little more worried about the defense right now than I am the offense because I think the offense has the tools and is going to put it together. Uh, the This over 50% uh, third down conversion rate that the defense has allowed to Ball State in Eastern Kentucky, I think is kind of worrisome. Yeah. Yeah, 123rd in the country <laughs> on third down defense and worse than the SEC. Uh, so that's that's the number one stat that's concerned me most with this team so far. But first of all, going back to Mark Stoops' reaction, you know, how he was really ticked off after the Ball State game and maybe not so much after EKU. I think there's kind of two ways to look at that one because I think he was ticked off. You can kind of see it in his face. Um, the one is, you know, he's very close with Walt Wells and EKZU staff. You might not want to be showing them up and voicing frustration when they still did beat them by double digits and pretty much outside of one bad drive that the defense allowed a touchdown on pretty much dominated the second half. And the other one is uh, maybe just, you know, he's taken a little bit. He did talk about Monday after Ball State how, you know, he's always going to be mad, win, lose, draw. He's going to be mad and – you know, he talked about how his message to the team is always to not take a win for granted. And maybe he's listening to his own advice a little bit. So those are the two things that kind of came to my head when you could kind of see it seething there, but he was able to 
not be so upset. But yeah, just watching this team, obviously, you know, they can't do what they're doing in the first half offensively once they start SEC play, even next week against Vanderbilt. They're just not going to be able to survive uh, if they get down on the scoreboard. I mean, luckily it was EKU and the defense out uh, had a really good first half and they were able to only allow a short field touchdown. Uh, but, you know, if you're down 14 nothing against Georgia, if you're down 21 nothing against Tennessee at half, you're done. Like, you're not coming back from that. So that's got to be cleaned out. Uh, like Mark said, the third down defense is super concerning. I think, you know, there's been a lot of good with the defensive line, and I think the corners, actually, Harrison and Phillips have been pretty good. Uh, the safeties, I've been a little, like, I, I expected more from that group. I mean, they're a veteran group. Uh, they played really – obviously, Geiger was out last year, and I think Geiger's actually been the one that's played the best of the three so far. But Jordan Lovett stepped up and played really well for 11 games last year, and he missed uh, an open field tackle on third and long in that game. And he had a couple of missed tackles uh, just throughout the start of the season. And Zion Childers, I mean, he's done pretty good stuff. He's done some good things. You know, he's kind of a leader in that locker room. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you know, bash on him too much. But there's been some plays out there where he's missed a tackle, or you know, a pass has been completed on his watch, and you know that pass interference could have. You know, it was a little ticky tack, but you know the rule says you you're, you gotta keep your eye on the ball. You can't turn your head, and you know te- by by definition it was pass interference. So uh, I've been a little concerned with some of the defensive stuff, the early starts. But uh, you know, overall, you know, you're two and zero, oh, and this Akron team might be worse than the two teams they've faced so far this season. So you have a real opportunity to put it on someone before you start SEC play. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think some of I think when we talked about this briefly last time, I think it's a good thing that, you know, everybody has high expectations. Um, but I do think there's a point where um, you can start to press when you know that you're supposed to do better. And maybe that's going on a little bit uh, where guys kind of feeling the pressure a little bit to do better. But, you know, <clears throat> and maybe this is a conversation for a different day. But, man, you know, after watching Alabama, Texas, um, and what happened, and I'm, I have a lot of Alabama fans and Alabama people in my universe, uh, and just what you see on social media from the fans, from the ex-players, it's like, man, like, what you know, especially, like, just the typical fan, like, you know, I, I just don't understand the, the process behind it, <laughs> the mental, I just don't get it, you know, because at the end of the day, like, it's it just – the, the, I, I get it. That fans are invested. They want to see the team succeed. I get it. But, you know, it's almost like it's for some people, it's almost like their happiness is pinning on uh, if their team wins or not. You know, and I, I just think that a lot of people just got to relax, man. You know, you know, Kentucky maybe struggling in the first half or first quarter of a game or Bama losing a game once in the blue moon. You know, at the end of the day, people are human things. You know, yes, we want to have high expectations, but, you know, you got to take into account that coordinators back, shuffling offensive line, new quarterback in a new system. And it, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into being successful on offense. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's one of those things where everybody kind of want that instant, you know, 60-point game or whatever they're looking for. And it, it, it don't really happen that way. Um you know, I think this offense will continue to get better. They have great pieces in every position. Um, you know, they have a good coordinator. So I think sometimes it just take things a little bit to jail um, before you can really expect, you know, what you want to, I guess, what most people want to see. And the good thing is they plan, you know, non-conference games, man. You get 
get a, a good three game, you know, um, three game series, so to speak, to kind of get everything lined up where you want it. Now, when you jump off in conference play, you know, you got three games under your belt and you can go from there, man. But I just think, you know, I, I can kind of see a little bit of pressing uh, a little bit, you know, maybe that's due to, you know, outside factors uh, and expectations that aren't theirs. You know, I think, you know, I'm sure they've had this conversation. I'm not trying to take a coach spot, but, you know, maybe the conversation has to be had or, or need to be had more of just play within the realm of these walls. Let's let's focus on what's going on in here because, you know, expectations could get to a lot of young men, uh, you know, that's on social media all day or whatever, and they see a lot of stuff. So I think they're fine, man. I, I don't think, you know, some people panic, and I just don't see that. I don't see – the need to do that. I mean, they're two and zero, about to be three and zero Saturday, you know. And and you know, Tavion Robinson touching the ball and, and going over hundred yards receiving, finally seeing what he can do. If anything, that's a, a extremely bright spot to me. Yeah, that uh, was. When I look at the offense, I mean, obviously, Dan Key and Barry Young Brown are all conference caliber players, and you got Tavion Robinson going off for two touchdowns or whatever, and hundred thirty, whatever it was, hundred thirty six yards. I mean, you have Ray Davis, that running back, who's an all-conference caliber player. I mean, that's a quarterback who obviously can do it. I mean, if anything, you should be extremely optimistic and excited about what's to come, you know, because I think they have that in the room. So we'll see. You know, I just I just think, uh, you know, you know, people should just relax and, and let those guys do. Yeah, assuming they can protect, I think the offense is going to be okay. The one thing I do wonder about – I understand they're an NFL offense. They're they're still playing so slow. Oh, yeah. And they're just not getting enough. They're you know, they're last in the SEC in plays run from scrimmage. Yep. You know, they have good weapons. You'd like to see guys get more touches. You know, the two things that could make that happen would be playing a little faster and the defense getting off the field on third down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. Liam was talking about that today and he had one idea that he brought up, which I really like is, you know, not necessarily you have to go hurry up, but just not shifting as much personnel. Cause he was talking about after every play, they're shifting personnel, whether it's, you know, they like their 12 personnel with two tight ends. They even will use 13 personnel on three tight ends on the field. You know, they'll have packages where they have, the three receivers and then Anthony Brown Stevens as well. So you have four wideouts and they'll go empty. So he's talked about maybe we just need to run some plays with the same personnel back to back to back and just let those guys go. And that'll make things easier. So I think that's something where, you know, last year, obviously we all know how bad the tempo was. We all saw the, the, the uh, play clock go down to the last possible second. And yet, you know, they still are running five plays less per game uh, this year than last. And, Part of that's the new rules and adjusting to that. And that's affected Kentucky, uh, like Mark said, because of the third down defense and, you know, first game scoring on defense and special teams. But uh, the, the tempo is it's a, it's a little better than last year getting into plays in, but not that much better. And that was something that drove Mark Stoops crazy. So we heard him talk Stoops talk about it a little Monday. I thought Liam had some good ideas about it today. And now it's all about implementing it and seeing it in the game. And, uh, you know, hopefully against Akron Saturday, Again, this Akron team uh, is not very good. I think they've won seven games combined in the last five years. Like this is a game that uh, upset with any scoreboard. If, if this one's close of the three games, I think it would be this one. And just this past Saturday, I know you guys were in the press box. It did happen. There, 
in the first half, I forget what juncture specifically, but the, the clock was running down. The the camera panned on Liam Cohen, and you don't have you wouldn't have to be a professional lip reader, but you seem to hurry up, hurry yeah. up, hurry yeah. up. And then and the I camera pans back to the field, to and it was seven seconds left. And then they had to call a timeout. They had to burn yeah. a timeout because they just weren't, you know, you know, moving quick enough and didn't have everything together. So, you know, and part of me, you know, in hindsight, you're looking at a guy who maybe I don't know when he started feeling bad, but he's hours away from having an episode and he's on the sideline coaching. Was he feeling bad then? Was he fighting off feeling bad? We don't know. But, you know, like you said, he's feeling good now and looking forward to implementing things going forward to kind of put in place to to pick up the pace a little bit. So. Yeah, well, the know. other thing about running down the play clock under these new new rules, you don't you can't afford to burn time out. You're going to yeah. need them. So, I mean, you just can't do it. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, Kentucky has been affected by it a lot. Like I was just saying, a lot more than most. But if you just look around the country, and I, I brought this up to Stoops Monday, like the scoreboards are a lot closer. You, you Obviously, we've seen some upsets. But just in general, you just look at the SEC this week. Like Tennessee really struggled with Austin P. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas struggled with, uh, I believe, Kent State. Like right. And just across the country, they're, they're close games. Uh, Oklahoma State had a close call. Uh, their first game, I forget who it was against, but it was a, a pretty sure it was an FCS opponent. And, you know, obviously some of that is those teams having their own issues, but, you know, having less plays means less points are going to be put on the board. So um, we've seen a lot of coaches complain about it. Uh, Mark Stoops, I wouldn't say, has complained about it. I think he's been annoyed uh, more so with, his, you know, the own team and not being able to run those plays. But uh, it's going to be really interesting. That is, a, I think, a storyline that kind of went underrated going into the season. I think some of these coaches have even been a little bit taken aback because I remembered SEC media days and I was there for all four days and I pretty much heard every, all 14 coaches uh, answer a question on it. And pretty much everyone said, yeah, it won't affect much, but uh, I think, I think they're kind of learning as things are going too. And so, so I guess to put a bow on this, it's we're all in agreement. Akron is oh. one in one. Their points scored is 45 points last 45. They won a game 24-21, lost a game 24-21. Did you all see how they won their game? Yes. <laughs> did you guys see? No. I did. I didn't. So they were losing 20. They were losing by four in the last minute. And Morgan State has the ball. Akron still has a timeout. So on third, I think it was third and nine, something like that. Uh Morgan State opts to run the football, you know, again, less than a minute to play. And they fumble, and Akron recovers and scoops and scores with 52 seconds left. They would have lost to Morgan State if not for a miracle. So, uh, again, and their defense, like you said, the 45 points allowed, they have some good defensive numbers, Akron does so far, but against Temple and uh, Morgan State, you know, whatever. But their offense has been atrocious. It's like you said, they're averaging – you know, 1.4 wins a year for the past five years. So yeah, they had an 0 and 12 in there too. Yeah, yeah. So if anything is in the realm of 24-21 Saturday, then then <laughs> yeah, the, then you got some. We have questions that Mark has questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, I gotta ask you too. Uh, peripheral, I guess. You know, if you flash back a couple months ago, and you and I talked about it. Uh, right after SEC media days, but just you, Mark, being longtime columnist, maybe you, you see things peripherally from what's going on with your peers. 
the whole thing with Kirby Smart and Georgia and the AJC and the retraction that had to take place, and I think one fellow lost his job. Have you experienced anything like that where the, the program you cover is really pissed at you? Have you have you experienced that, or what was your thoughts on what you saw if you kind of glanced at what was going on in Athens from Lexington? I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because you've been around and seen a lot of things. I just wanted to just see well, what you thought. There have been multiple times when – program I've covered has been really angry, but I don't think, uh, you know, fortunately you don't see very often what appeared to happen there where the uh, reporter had made some pretty, pretty big mistakes to, yeah. to, to, to be generous. Mm -hmm. um, Georgia pushed back hard and I think Georgia was probably uh, correct and more correct than not in what, what they were saying. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, it undermines the credibility of, of, you know, of, you know, journalism. Um, and obviously as someone in the profession, you don't want to see that happen. So when you were under the glare, I'm mean, obviously didn't do that. But when you had, you know, UK coach, whatever sport mad at you, did it, did it just blow over? Did you hold your ground or did y'all have some, off the record, heated exchanges because you know you're always calm and cool. Mark Story, I've never seen you ticked off ever. So, yeah, I've never. I mean, I've never had a you know blow up a big public blow up. Partially because when I have had sort of confrontations with coaches, it was long enough ago. It was before everything was on live video. I mean, we're all now sort of living in a reality TV show. And, <laughs> you know, everything is. Is sort of real. I, you know, Rich Brooks was angry at me one time in a press box and kind of zinged me, and I did. I just sort of let that one go, and you know that that blew over. Brooks was a mature person, and once he sort of you know communicated his feelings, he didn't hold a grudge. Um, I, I I got into it one time. You know how Mummy got upset with something I wrote and refused to answer my questions for a year, <laughs> which, 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 which was kind of fun. <laughs> That'll show you. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Wow. No, but, you, know, you know, I had a couple, you know, a couple of times, you know, Tubby Smith got upset with me one night for a question I asked, but Tubby being a gentleman, then he, he, he apologized. He just came up to me after the press conference and said, you know, I lost my pool there. I didn't mean anything by that. And, you know, I, you know, it's, I've never had any, you know, I've never had anything super, you know, I've never had a Mike Gundy just blow up on me. <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting. You know, I love, I, I, I'm i one that, you know, it's different. But what Coach Deion Sanders is doing out of Colorado, I, I'm having fun watching that from afar. But I'm just waiting for that, that first loss and a question that he doesn't like. It, it's coming. The blowout is, is coming there. Point intended. It's coming. Yeah, it's, that's right. <laughs> now, if for some that may be right, not objectively, and, you know, kind of poke him, and then he comes back with the receipts or whatever, in that situation, I'm, you know, if you're kind of putting your personal feelings in and the way you think he's handled things or the way he changed the roster, 
and then he reads your stuff and comes back at you. I'm kind of like, well, you you kind of started that, and you in that situation. That's that's just me. I don't know how you guys see that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. If I write something and it's proven wrong, if coach, you know, I don't have any problem with ah. the coach. I mean, that's that's part of the deal. Yeah, I'm totally with it. I, I agree 100%. I've I really, like I said, I've really enjoyed what's going on at Colorado from afar. I think uh, it's changed. I think we, we talked about it at length last week, but I think what he's doing is changing the game. And obviously, you know, that reaction and saying, oh, you don't believe in us. Obviously, to believe in you as the media, it's our job to call it as we see it. But if we see it and we're wrong and he wants to take a jab, I got I got no problems with it. If I write that uh Kentucky's going to win four games and they win nine and Mark Stoops gives me a hard time. Like that's my fault. Uh, I'm not saying I did that. Uh, just, just giving you an example. So I had no problems. The thing that fascinated me about Dion after the TCU game was he was after Ed Werder and has Ed Werder written a word about college football? <laughs> he probably just hasn't said anything. <laughs> He's mad at Ed about something from the something Cowboys. The Cowboys yeah. <laughs> but you know, if, I mean, if, Oh, like, okay. He's exceeded expectations already. You know, the losses that will come, I mean, you're going to have a hard time beating Oregon and USC. The you know, schedule gets tougher. But nobody expected him to beat TCU. But so if, if the losses do come, he's still done way more already than they thought. There's going to be people who take their shots and he's in over his head and you know, there'll be people trying to come back at him for what he's, you know, said after these wins. Um, but they can't probably, if they're honest, say that, well, we we had him at 2-0. and I knew he'd go 2-0. You, you probably didn't. You probably had him getting blown out against TCU and all that. So don't try to change now is all Jay, I'm saying. shaking his head because uh... – he he saw he had TCU by what did you say by I think by twenty and I was I said I said they would cover at the very least. Yeah, I, I man, I was extremely. I'm usually not the real one who's right. Yeah, I, I I didn't know that they were you know going to be that well oiled initially uh, to start the season. But um, like you said, it, I mean, you go back and watch because I I used to kind of pay attention to what was going on at Jackson State, and after a loss or especially that first year, you remember. COVID spring year, uh, he was there at Jackson State, and he got some questions that he didn't like, and you know, <laughs> and he 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 he'll let the report. I mean, it's, we're talking about prime now. He'll let the reporters know uh, how he feel. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. But yeah, you're gonna get people. People look forward to when you know, especially a guy like Prime Time, who to most people he comes across as cocky and whatever. Um, I don't really see it that way. I just think he's a guy who he is who he is. He's very unapologetic about who he is. He's very honest. He's very, um, you know, uh, confident in, in kind of himself and his team. So he know for a fact that when they lose, that people who don't believe are going to give him a hard time. And I, like you said, I can't wait to see it, uh, because I, I, I know it's going to be more CTV because I know at the end of the day, he speaks his mind and he don't care who likes it or who don't. So uh, I think, you know, I commend you guys uh, as reporters, you know, for some time, you know, holding your ground and, and keeping your cool because I'm not sure if I can, <laughs> sure if I can keep mine in some situations. Uh, so I, I think it takes a lot of uh, emotional 
uh, you know, maturity in a way. Well, if it makes y'all feel better, I thought TCU would kill. I just didn't think you could have the amount of roster turnover they've had and be good no, in the game. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and have it mesh enough to to take down the defending runner-ups, even though they're different as well on the road. So yeah, that was that was quite yeah. an accomplishment. The other thing people don't give Leon enough credit for is he hired good coaches. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got good coordinators. Yeah, he, he knew he, he did a good job. Absolutely. Um, we talked about you know Kentucky and EKU and you know familiarity. Maybe play more of a role than we thought. Everybody talked about you know Walt Wells and you know uh, CJ Conrad and Maxwell Smith and all that, and then just kind of brushed it aside. But you know the familiarity was there. Um, Roy Kidd playing for him with him, you know, in the last days of his life and he just passed away. Mark, did you get to interact with him, you know, throughout your time with him being at Richmond and, and you being at the Herald Leader? You have some interactions. I did. Um, you know, when I was a kid way back in the 70s, the Eastern-Western rivalry was the galvanizing football rivalry in the state of Kentucky. It's hard to explain now how big it was. And pretty much everybody had to pick a side. And my parents had done their graduate work at Western. So I rooted for Western and against uh, Roy Kidd and Eastern. So when I got to the Herald Leader and started interacting with him, and this is a guy I'd always sort of rooted against. So I, you know, I was surprised how much I liked him. And, you know, he, Roy Kidd is the most significant college football coach in our state's history. Now, obviously, Bear Bryant is the greatest coach who ever coached here, but he didn't stay. And, you know, Roy Kidd, you know, when he was in his heyday, Eastern was the best team in the state. They were better than Kentucky. When Eastern won the FC, the, the, the D1, the one double A championship the second time in 82, they went 13 and 0. And that same year, Kentucky was 0 10 and 1. Then three, I think it was three years later, Eastern played Louisville in the regular season finale. And Eastern won like 45 to 24. For that you know, period of time in the, in the early 80s, Eastern was the best team in our state. And that you know is a tremendous coaching achievement to do at you know a an FCS school. And you know, Roy Kidd, you know, he interviewed for other jobs, but always ambivalently. Um, you know, he's just such an Eastern guy. He played there, he'd been an assistant there, he was the head coach there for so long. It was his school. He just he loved Eastern. But the one job he always wanted to crack at was UK. And he interviewed twice. And the first time he interviewed was after Fran Kersey was fired. And I think he felt like he didn't really get a fair interview. It was kind of a, a, a cursory thing. But the second time was when they hired Bill Curry. And, and he went in with a, you know, as Roy explained to me, he went in with a really well thought out plan, felt like, the, you know, CM Newton was then the AD search committee that they gave him a fair listen. And he's, you know, Roy told me that he was told by somebody on the committee that if Curry, who was then the head coach at Alabama, had said no, that Roy would have probably gotten an, gotten an offer to coach at UK. Now, as we know, you know, Curry said yes, and, and that offer didn't come. But that was, UK was probably the one job he, he would have left Eastern for. Speaking of, of Curry, just to, you know, if 
in the in everybody piles on Marty Moore. If they if they win the bowl game, if if he doesn't fumble, if they win, do you see? Because you know we we hear about momentum from a bowl win, and it carries on in the spring practice, carries into recruiting, whether it's legit or not. We've heard that forever. Do you think Curry's tenure goes any different if he wins that bowl game, Mark? I don't. Okay. I just think the flaws that were undermining that coaching regime were, you know, that weren't going to be changed by, you know, if 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 Marty Moore when he intercepted that pass had just fallen down and Kentucky wins the ball game, I don't think it would have changed much because Pookie Jones was the quarterback and he had decided not to come back and play the next year. They got caught. They really didn't have a quarterback. Remember, that was the year they went 1-10 mm-hmm. the next year. And I don't think just winning the ball game was going to fix sort of the problems that, that created that. Just another one that had to toss at you and get your thoughts on it for sure. Oh, I was not expecting to be asked about the 93 Peach Bowl. <laughs> Oh, Vinny, Vinny remembers everything too. Now you, you give everyone else the credit, but he remembers everything. Yeah, man, I'm just born in Kentucky and been around a while, Mark. So... <laughs> oh, we talked about too, Aaron. You mentioned the the 50th anniversary of Kroger Field. Yeah. Uh, did you vote in Corey Price's ballot, Mark? No, I I didn't. I don't know if Mark did. I did. Okay. And so, y'all just take it wherever you want to take it. Did you see the? Did you see it, Aaron? Or did you? Uh, I got to see it. Some pieces. I haven't. Se- I haven't seen everything that's out there. Okay. But I think my my big question for Mark, who's obviously been in that stadium a bunch, in that press box a bunch, not two different press boxes. What would you say was the? I don't want to. I don't know how to word it, but the the lowest, the worst moment, since because there's been a lot. And then what would you say was the? the best moment that you've covered in that, in that stadium? The best, so mo- the best moment was upset with the LSU game mm-hmm. when they beat them when they were number one. Um, the worst moment was Northeast Louisiana mm-hmm. when they lost to Northeast Louisiana, which is now Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> I wouldn't even have known that. <laughs> and um, Kentucky was down 21-14. And Clyde Rudolph looked like had a clear path to the end zone. And like the turf monster got him on the two yard line as like time expired. And that was the last home game in what became the one in 10 season. So, you know, I, I, I think that was probably the lowest moment. Um, close to that was the Vanderbilt game. Jokers, kind of the game that did in Joker when they got beat 40 to nothing. So. And uh, the, there was nobody in the stadium. Speaking of forty to nothing, Aaron, that's all I'm. Oh, thanks for that. Oh, sorry, Aaron. Uh, you know what? Uh, you don't. Uh, Vinny doesn't have to apologize. The Cowboys don't have to apologize. The right side of the Giants' offensive line has to apologize. <laughs> hey, Corey. Corey Price also. Interviewed a lot of players and coaches. Yeah, I mean, he did little Zoom, little video clips. Frank Kersey, Hal Mummy, yeah. uh, players from the 80s, the 90s, you know, uh, Derek Ramsey. And each player, you know, gave their favorite Commonwealth memory. And we only have one player on here with us. So, Jalen, what would be your favorite Commonwealth Stadium Kroger Field memory 
while you were at UK? Man, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it, man. Uh, I think for me, you know, I don't know if there's one particular memory. Um, I but I do just remember, you know, as a freshman walking on the field. Um, you know, I didn't know anything. You know, I was like I said, we were freshmen. Just kind of walking on the field pregame was like. Damn, this is some great grass. Uh, this is some great grass, man. I, I just remember, like, the, you know how it is when it's, like, noon game, it's sunny outside. It's not really hot. Uh, the grass is really green. Uh, you know, you just – it's just uh, – it was a great feeling. It's just a, a real cool football feeling when you know you got a game on a great day. Uh, and, you know, and I was like, man, they really take care of this grass, man. So – I just remember, you know, us freshmen just talking about that because we had some guys who they come from areas where they didn't play on good fields. And, um, you know, and we play, always played on turf in high school. So um, I remember like, man, this is this is this, I mean, you can take a nap on the grass. I, I always appreciated that. And you always appreciate it. You know, high school coaches talk about it all the time. Once late October rolls around, early November, when the grass start to turn colors, um, and you just you just appreciate you know playing football during those times. And I remember you know I was lucky enough to win a state championship in high school. So I remember you know going into Commonwealth Stadium, and the grass is starting to turn colors, and we're playing football you know, and uh you know in, in November or whatnot, and just it's just a good feeling. You know you just appreciate uh you know just to be able, be able to do it, man. Be able to go on the grass and, and actually play. Uh, so you just, you know, just little stuff like that for me, man. I know that's kind of sentimental, but uh, it, that's just how I kind of see it, man. I just appreciate that stuff, it's, you know, some of the little stuff that happened. Yeah, well, was it Alabama A&M you had that super long touchdown run against? That was uh, Alabama State. So, yeah, that, that that's a, you know, and, and that was, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. That was kind of a, you know, one of those memories that was, that was great. Uh, but it was also like, you know, bittersweet too. Because, and I say that because I'm from Montgomery. Alabama State is in Montgomery. I have a lot of people that I, that I were teammates with and a lot of people that I played ball with and against my whole life that was on that team. Um, you know, and it had, that had to, had to happen against them. Uh, and, you know, we obviously beat them pretty bad that day. So, um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a great memory because I was actually coming back from injury. That was, like, one of my first plays uh, back, you know, and it was – I think it may be my longest touchdown ever. It's the longest um, run by a quarterback in UK history. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, that, that, that was definitely a, a, a good one. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of memories, man. I, You know, just enjoy, enjoy, you know, just able to play football, man, and, and, and get in, going. A lot of people don't get a chance to play in that stadium and, and, and kind of do that. And, you know, I just appreciate that. And here's the thing. When, when you first started co-hosting with us, you know, Kentucky – tweeted out like plays from that's Stoops right. Stoops's wins, you know, uh, after he surpassed Bear Bryant. And I think that was win number two. And they put your highlight in there. Fellas, you probably remember Aaron, but Mark, we asked Jalen about it when he started on the podcast with us. And he said, I, you know, I really didn't feel like I was running that fast. We're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yards, man. I, I didn't, man. I, I, I haven't always had that been... many plays in the, in the school's history that long, let alone just by quarterback. 
Did somebody got close to it or beat it? Maybe it was a running back. Maybe it was it some? Was it JoJo Kemp? Somebody, somebody not, beat by a team. running back. Maybe, but by yeah. a quarterback. No, got. it was it was uh, Boom Williams, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's we. I mean, you have the two kick returns from Barry on, and you've yeah. got uh, Tyrell Asian had a 95 yard pick six two years ago against Chattanooga, but yeah. quarterback run that it's not even close. I don't think Mark's Higgs 80 Mark Higgs 85 yarder. Stood for a long time. I heard Tom Leach talking about that. Uh, you know, he closed the show with with the factoids. Uh, I think this right around this time of year, Mark Higgs was an eighty-five yarder. Uh, I don't know if somebody, some a running back, maybe has passed that, but you still got the quarterback record, Jay. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you reminded me because I, you know, some of our players, been, uh, you know, they, they they like to throw jokes out there and say, you know, they don't think I, they don't think I can outrun them still. Uh, so I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw that fact out there tomorrow. So appreciate that. <laughs> and and pull the clip. I know they, yeah. they tweeted you in the clip, or we tagged you in yeah. the tweet. So yeah, put that, put that clip up there and and just say, look yeah. at this, young yeah, fella. I'll find that. Absolutely, well, fellas. I think we might have covered everything that's happening. Uh, real quick, I know it's football mode, but Mark, if you heard anything or do you think you see anything changing with the big is Vladimir a Vesic situation, or do you think it's that ship has sailed and it's mm. he's going to be playing somewhere else this fall? Well, I don't know anything definitive. It seems to me like it's it's gone so long. I I'm not sure how you can just from an academic sense how you could even it's so late into the semester. I guess you know if maybe you could get him in school and maybe he could join mid semester if he was willing to do that. But yeah, it seems like uh, seems like that's maybe not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, be interesting to uh, if 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 it doesn't happen, and you know, Cal has his first you know press conference session about it. He's never really went Mac Brown on this, like you know, NCAA. Would would he? Show how truly frustrated he is with oh, the missions if yeah, this happens. They'll say something. They'll say something. <laughs> but, yeah. So we shall see. You, you, you'll ask him a question about how Aaron Bradshaw's injury is doing, and that's when you'll get it. <laughs> that's that's close enough. You ask him about a seven footer, he just starts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fellas, this has been fun. Mark, thank you so much. Uh Always enjoy your work at the Herald Leader and look forward to the uh, Kentucky Sports Person of the Year ballot and appreciate you, you know, letting little people like me vote in it. And how's the composition going? I mean, it never stops, but how's it so far three-fourths of the way through the year? Well, I I won't really start on that till probably November. What I do is if there's like somebody comes up that is kind of, off the beaten path, I'll just send myself an email. And, and so then when I get to it, I'll have a long list of emails with potential candidates. You know, I, I do that for people that I'm, you know, I might not think of otherwise. So uh, yeah, I'm a little worried about the voting just because there's been so much media contraction in our state. There's not as many. So, uh, but, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to make sure we uh, get as many people to vote in that as we can. Absolutely. It's always uh, a great list and yeah, great absolutely. to see how everybody 
different, you know, viewpoints and the way they see players and what impresses them, how it all comes together in the ballot. It's, it's always fun to see. Um, so everybody follow Mark. Uh, check out his work at the Herald Leader. Aaron Gershon at the Cat's Paws. Jalen Whitlow is an author, high school coach, quarterback trainer. Follow us all on Twitter. Reach out. Uh, Jalen, we still – look, Mark, too, what is your favorite restaurants in Lexington? Jalen hadn't been back to Lexington in a while, so we, we talked to the listeners about sending Jalen restaurant recommendations from Lexington that he can try when he comes back to visit Stoops and everybody in Lexington. So what are some of your go-tos in Lexington that you that you well, frequent? What kind of food does Jalen like? Man, <laughs> I don't want to get – I don't get the name too much, man. I'll try them all. Uh, so, you know, I – I like a little bit of everything, man. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not too picky. Well, my favorite restaurant in Lexington is probably uh, Bella Note. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I never, I never even heard of that. That's oh, a, yeah, it's, it's right on Nicholasville Road, just south of Fayette Mall. Um, my favorite cheap restaurant in Lexington is Bourbon in Toulouse, which is Cajun on Euclid Avenue. Mm-hmm. I'll have to keep those in mind. A couple more to, to make mental notes of right there, man. Yeah, Bella Note is the one when my mom's coming from Florida. That's her favorite one here. So uh, we go there every time she's here. There you go. There you go. So when you get in, man, you go, you can have a nice little list of places, man. We're trying to yeah, get everybody to take care of you, man. Yeah, I, I had I had somebody reach out to me and give me about five places that uh, I've never heard of. I, mean, I haven't been back in I haven't been back since 2017. That's crazy. Uh, you haven't even you haven't toured the new facility yet, right? I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen the new facility. Or anything. Crazy to me. Got to get back, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to get back one day. I've been, you know, coaching high school ball. And, yeah, you know how it is. So I, I need to get back for a game. Is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So we'll you definitely need to tour the facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to do. I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. You know, I went to you know. I happily, I went to a game, but not at Kentucky last year. I went to yes, you were in Knoxville. Uh, but, you know, w- one day, one day soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you so much, man. We definitely appreciate you hopping on and, and taking time out of the evening to, to talk some UK with us this evening, sir. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. It was fun. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'll see you on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. So for... Mark Story, Aaron Gershon, Jalen Whitlow, my name is Vinny Hardy. It's been another episode of Believe in Kentucky, believe.com. Check us out on our YouTube live or listen wherever you get your podcast, and we will see each and every one of y'all next week, hopefully talking about Kentucky being 3-0 and and heading down for the Ray Davis homecoming game in Nashville with <laughs> Vanderbilt's partially standing stadium. Oh, my God. <laughs> Until then, we'll see everybody next week. Don't believe anything.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.